This is the Manufacturing Report. I'm Scott Paul. We hire 40-something people here, but you know what? We create seven jobs. The, the candy industry creates seven auxiliary jobs. For every job I create here, there's seven other jobs that are created in the industry with trucking and supply. Joe Dutra is now a successful candy maker with a factory and 45 workers in Reno, Nevada. But his path to success was, well, it was unorthodox. He bought, on a whim, 40,000 pounds of chocolate-covered sunflowers, had never been in the candy business before, and then opened a factory in Reno just as the economy was tanking during 2008's Great Recession. Today, he's a very successful candy maker, but it didn't look like it was going to start out that way. His story, next on The Manufacturing Report. And I'm honored to be joined by Joe Dutra, who is the president and CEO of Kimmy Candy Company, based in Reno, Nevada, and maker, makers of some really extraordinary treats, a lot of which are going to be in Halloween bags uh, and pumpkins this week. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show, so thank you very much. And yeah, right, you know, life is sweet in uh, Reno, Nevada. Yeah, I, yeah, I can I can only imagine. Um, you've obviously brought a, a lot of jobs of candy making excitement to to Reno, but you didn't start out as a candy maker. You were from a you know you were I think I recall like a third generation farmer. How how did you make the jump from uh, from farming into candy making? Well, you're right. I, I was a third-generation farmer in Sacramento, California. We farmed tomatoes and rice and sugar beets, and and uh, one day I had kind of a business opportunity, and it was it was supposed to be a short-term uh, opportunity. Uh, one of the one of my friends uh, brought me some candy-coated chocolate-covered sunflower kernels, and he said, you know, if you buy these. There's 40,000 pounds sitting in, in San Francisco at the, at, the, at the port, and he said, uh, if you purchase these uh, sunflower kernels, he says, I'll sell them. And uh, I had lent this friend of mine some money or gave him some money in the past, and he says, and, and I'll pay you back for the, you know, the, the candy, and then anything over that, I'll give you the money back that you've given me over the years, and then anything over that will split. And, I said, well, that's a great idea. I said, can you sell candy? And he says, of course. He says, I can sell anything. So I always love positive mental attitude. And uh, so I bought this 40,000 pounds of candy. And uh, after about three or four months, realized that he couldn't sell candy because <laughs> he had been in the farming <laughs> business like myself. So I love optimism. So I, uh, I started reading. You know, I thought, well, my gosh, I have 40,000 pounds of candy that, you know, of course I couldn't eat within a... A reasonable period of time and and so I kept reading books you know and at this time I was I was farming but it was you know I could see that my kids you know were never going to be in the farming business and and I was kind of looking at you know some opportunities and what I did was I read this one book called the emperors of chocolate and it's a great book and if you ever want your people to read a book about how Hershey's and and Mars started and Cadbury it, it's just an amazing book and talks about how they they had this grit about life and they and they 
passion about the candy business and they just never gave up and of course you know mars is one of the largest uh privately owned corporations in the world now and hershey's of course is owned by the uh their trust foundation but you know it just they they just never gave up and they said you know it has all the aspects of a great business it was recession proof you know the industry grew every year it had good morals and a lot of family-run businesses in in the industry and so i thought you know i'm going to start a candy company and of course everybody on the ranch and you know my relatives all thought i was a bit crazy so um i i dove into it in 2000 and um we just ended up being very lucky and we worked very hard but we became very lucky and originally I had my manufacturing offshore because that was where the original candy had come and came from was Busan, Korea. Okay, so so and the chocolate covered sunflower seeds had been shipped from Korea to you, is that? Right. Okay. And so that's where you decided to initially set up the manufacturing for your candy company. I did. And and what the reason I did is because at that point in time in the early 2000s, I really wasn't confident that I could make a candy manufacturing company or, or a marketing company work and uh, because everybody kept telling me I couldn't I did have a little bit of of uh, you know doubt that I could do it and so I thought you know if it's if it's over and if the manufacturing's over in Korea to begin with at least tell somebody that you know they got attacked and you know blew up the factory and you know I could still go back into the farming industry with a my head held up high, but about 2004, uh, I thought, you know, this this is actually going to work. And we had won some some awards and had some accolades in the candy industry. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to create American jobs and not create Korean jobs because this business has some real uh, legs to it. And by that time, in 2004, I had about five or six employees, and we were. Uh, developing packaging and, and marketing our products, you know, across the U.S. as well as we could, and so I started looking for places to uh, put a manufacturing company, and chose uh, Reno, Nevada, in 2005, and I moved up here and leased a building, and and uh, in 2006 I actually bought the building and and started building out the factory in 2007. And in 2008, I moved all the manufacturing back from uh, from Busan, Korea, to uh, to Reno, Nevada. To Reno. So let me let me ask you, Joe. Did you look elsewhere in in the country, or were you did you want to keep it kind of close to your home base, where you had uh, you know been? It sounds like born and raised, and had a, had a business in the family for generations. Well, you're you're correct. I looked at I looked at several states. Uh, some of the factors that I looked at, you know, were, were the ease of doing business in a state. You know, California became somewhat restrictive because I had actually looked at building a small manufacturing facility on the ranch at that time, and uh, just the, the it was a bureaucratic nightmare to do business in in California with all the regulations and the th hoops we had to jump through. So I started to look. I looked at at Texas, El Paso, Texas. Uh, I looked at a place in Utah, and I looked at Reno, Nevada. And probably I was about, oh, about a week away from actually moving to uh, El Paso, Texas. There were some advantages of, of, 
of being close to the Mexican border and closer to some bonded warehouse, maybe possibility of producing maybe even some candy over in Mexico. And uh, But then I had some elderly parents that I was uh, in charge of, and I thought, you know, it's better for, to be closer to home. And so when I came back to Reno, I was, you know, treated very well by the people in Reno and and decided to uh, to make home uh, Reno, Nevada. So that, that gave me a, a two-hour drive to, to be able to see my parents. And it was also advantageous because when you move people from one state to the other, your employees, and at this time we only had six, uh, it was still difficult for them to, to relocate because of their jobs. And so being two hours away from their families wasn't such a long a long commute if they had to go home and see them. Yeah, so so you you were in full operation in 2008, and I know you told me that, that one of the appeals of the candy business is that it was recession-proof, but you know, towards the end of 2008, when the Lehman Brothers collapsed and the stock market collapsed and the Great Recession began, were you worried? Oh, of course. I thought I had made the biggest mistake in my life of moving offshore manufacturing onshore, purchasing a building, started to hire employees, more employees to run the manufacturing. I had brought the my candy maker from Korea over and you know, I thought, my gosh, I have all these obligations. What I paid for the building, all of a sudden you could see, you know, daily the price of the building was going down in value and we were we were in a big recession in the United States. And so I thought I'm hoping, you know, praying that we were going to be successful. And what I really found out was that this was probably the best move that I could have ever made because it was able to produce products in the U.S. and be able to ship them within a short period of time where when I had offshore manufacturing, I would have to be looking at two or three months in advance to be able to make sure I... I could get the products I needed here, and I was having some issues with supply. You know, I'd, if our product was, was selling really well, you know, we had some issues one time with a grocery store chain in um, Texas called HEB, and it's a wonderful, you know, chain to work with, but we were, we were selling uh, some new products in there, and it was selling extremely well. It sold so extremely well that the shelves went empty. And by the time I could get product back in from Korea, I had lost that business because, as you know, most retails do not want to have an empty shelf for any period of time because they have a planogram. So uh, that that taught me a lesson, and that was that's the reason it was kind of nice to be having manufacturing in the states. But now I had the ability to ship, you know, candy at any time, and and so if somebody wanted ten thousand pounds of candy. You know, next week I could, you know, theoretically I could really do it, and so that it, it turned out to be a great move for us to bring manufacturing back home, and so we were able to supply our customers quicker, and we were able to innovate faster, and so it it, it turned out that our business continued to grow uh, even during the recession period. That's so great. we were growing by double digits the whole time. Yeah, I mean, a lot of folks I talk to make assumptions about people who bring work back. You know, it's it's that it's about nostalgia or 
uh, or, or they, you know, they know they won't make as much money. But in your case, it sounded like it was a really smart and rational business decision. Well, in hindsight, I'm brilliant, you know. <laughs> <laughs> always. Yeah, it's always in hindsight. It was like, my gosh, you got you just made the perfect move. You know, you bought real estate and you did this and 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 so for us, you know, we've we've gone from when we originally, you know, came up to Reno in 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 2005. Uh, we've gone from six employees, and today we're, we've gone from a building that was 16,000 square feet. I just had expanded last year. We've moved into a 47,000 square foot building and tripled our production, and and we're now at about 45 employees. So the the uh, the aspect of coming back on shore has created a lot of jobs here in the Reno area, and uh, and we're seeing a, you know Reno's becoming a actually a very great manufacturing hub and distribution hub for, for the west coast of the United States. Yeah, both I, I'm familiar with a number of food products companies and obviously the big Tesla factory. Um, it's really transformed the economy of the city, it seems. I, I, I know I need to ask you a question that our, our listeners uh, have probably been wanting the answer to uh, since the beginning of the podcast is, what, what are the, what are the, 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 the candies uh, that, they would, uh, that, that they would see on the store shelves? What, like, what are the names of them? Where, where can they find them? What are some of your best sellers, Joe? So some of our best sellers are you know, our Sunburst line, which are candy-coated chocolate-covered sunflower kernels. And then our Choco Rocks, which are chocolate rocks that uh, we sell all across the United States. Um, we, uh, we have uh, our salted caramel pretzel bites and our dark chocolate covered pretzel bites. We have a, we have a, a line of, of what we call life fuel products that are uh, nutritionally enhanced with protein. And so we take almonds and cover them with like 23% protein chocolate and put a candy shell on them. And, We've been really fortunate. We've been innovating a lot of new products. You know, our, our facility here is peanut-free, gluten-free, and non-GMO. And that gives us a little niche in the market that allows us to, you know, ship across, you know, the, everywhere. We're just becoming, uh, with this new facility, where we have a, uh, we've just certified it as organic. So we have the ability to make organic candies here as well as, as conventional so that gives us another little niche in the market so we've been we've been really fortunate you know being able to uh, move into from a company that produced probably 95 percent of our products were bulk we sold to a lot of rebaggers and distributors and candy stores across the united states to now we're probably 50 percent of our of our sales are now branded in our uh, sunburst or choco rock lines and so it's uh, you know it's a it's a metamorphosis for us as we go through and and we get a little better and a little smarter we uh, we find that our products have some universal acceptance across the United States so well, it's, yeah it's been it's been a wonderful move yeah and it sounds like you have certainly captured in terms of some of the health and lifestyle trends that we're seeing a, a way to be relevant as a, as a candy maker which is yeah which, which can be challenging 
uh, actually. I, I wanted to ask you, because I know you were at the White House over the summer for uh, a, a, a celebration of Made in America and folks who were making products in the United States. Um, and yeah, I know the president also has criticized, I remember the Oreo cookies in particular for being for shifting production uh, overseas. So, so Made in America to you uh, and to your customers, I mean, does it make a difference for you? It makes a huge difference for me. I, you know, as I grew up in a in a farming community, and you know, my grandfather came over here and and started farming, and and it was it was America was was a great place to do business. You know, we we've been living the American dream. You know, creating jobs and and I've always thought that you know you could there's lots of ways to make money, and you can you can do it in many ways you can have offshore production where you you use very cheap labor and sugar and and then bring it back onshore which is which is great but you know you don't create that that industry around your industry you know so everybody we, you know we hire 40 something people here but you know what we create seven jobs the the candy industry creates seven auxiliary jobs for every job i create here there's seven other jobs that are created in the industry with trucking and supply and and so it it, it just creates that money stays in your community rather than than the, you're just making money and and saying okay you know i'm great with my family everybody i pay here they're buying groceries they're buying gasoline they're using the services in my community it makes the community stronger that you live in and so i've always been a big proponent about made in america because what it does it it creates in the community you live it creates strength and it, it creates more jobs and and that's what we need we need to be able to bring more jobs back to the United States from overseas because it just makes your community better and stronger. It, it, I, I agree completely. And, and I have to ask you th this question um, based on your uh, your heritage as a as a farmer and now as a candy maker. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Distinguished Gentleman before, but Eddie Murphy plays a guy who comes to Congress. That's kind of irrelevant, but there's a funny scene where a lobbyist sits down with him and says, are you for the sugar program or are you against it? And Eddie Murphy says, why? He said, well, because I can get you support from the sugar growers uh, if, if you're for the sugar program and, and the candy makers if you're opposed to it. No, you've had you've had a foot uh, in both courts here as a sugar beet producer and now also as a candy maker. Uh, what do you have any conflicted feelings about it now today? Well, you know it's very interesting as 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 a candy manufacturer now. I you know I'm I was on the board of directors of the National Confectioners Association at one time, and and I was the only uh, person that had ever been actually a beet grower at one time and it received some of the subsidies for sugar and now a candy manufacturer who is lobbying against you know this <laughs> uh, the same subsidy um you know i think what's happened is is you know the the only law that has not changed or the only subsidy that has not changed since the 30s is the subsidy for sugar and and what we believe is that, you know, this is why it drives a lot of jobs out of the United States is because, you know, there's about 400 
plus thousand jobs that were, are created by candy manufacturers in the United States, and there's probably only eighteen thousand jobs, you know, that are that are subsidized by this candy, or this sugar subsidy. And there's a lot of there's a lot of political draw to it. I mean, there's a there's some groups of sugar cane growers in the in the Florida area that just donate millions and millions and millions of dollars to keep the subsidy because the world sugar you know is right now is probably about 15 cents a pound and you know we are paying 50 cents a pound 45 to 50 cents a pound for sugar here in in the west coast of the united states so we are at a disadvantage from somebody that is producing you know the same candy across the border they get cheaper labor and cheaper sugar and so i think what happens you you'll you'll see that there's very few candy cane makers in the United States anymore. It used to be huge. All the candy canes used to come from the U.S. that we bought for Christmas. Well, now it's all coming from Mexico because of the cost of sugar. And and, and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of jobs have moved to, to Mexico or Canada because of cheaper sugar prices and just allows people to make their products cheaper. So... Interesting. I yeah. lobby every year. I lobby every year with our congressmen and, and senators about taking a look at the farm bill and 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 allowing us to to bring in more offshore sugar to lower the price because it's a hidden tax for every consumer and unfortunately the consumers that are affected most are the are the lower income uh, consumers because everything they buy tends to have a lot of sugar in it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think it's worth noting, and this kind of runs counter to the trend that you're saying, but uh, Haribo, the big German uh, candy makers, I, I'm building a big factory in Wisconsin. And so I think there, you know, while, while there are these price pressures, it seems like there are some people who have also discovered the, the benefits of being close to the market, um, which is one of the things that they, that they have cited uh, in, in coming to the United States. Um, as well, but I, I want to salute you for being uh, one of the one of the groundbreakers uh, in, in in doing that and paving the way for uh, this reshoring. I think it's great that you've added jobs in Reno and um, you're ma you're making an awesome product that you all can be proud of. Where where can people find more information about uh, Kimmy Candy, Joe? Well, you can go to our website at at, at KimmyCandy.com, and that's K-I-M-M-I-E candy.com we you know we sell a lot of toppings across the united states we right now we're primarily in a lot of the discount retailers you know like ross and tj maxx and marshall's and hobby lobbies and cracker barrels and cost plus world markets and then we sell to a lot of you know we're into a lot of museums you'll see our candy coated chocolate covered sunflower kernels in probably 50 or 60 museums across the united states and we're just starting a new packaging program, so you'll start seeing our stuff in convenience and uh, and grocery here shortly in 2018. So we're we're very proud to be made in America, and we're we're very proud to be making jobs here and and creating an industry that we hope people will emulate, and we'll see more companies coming from offshore, onshore, and uh, and and helping out the community that they do business in. Well, we couldn't agree more. Uh, Joe Dutra, thank you so much for your time. And I have to say, I'm starving and I can't wait to, to get my hand on some sunbursts. Thanks so much for joining Good. the Manufacturing Report. My pleasure. Give me Kimmy. <laughs>
And that will do it for the manufacturing report for this week. You can find the manufacturing report on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please consider taking a moment to help us spread the word. Write a review of this podcast, rate us, and share it with a friend who you think would enjoy the manufacturing report. You can find us on Facebook at American Manufacturing. You can tweet us at Keep It Made in USA, and you can connect with us on our website, AmericanManufacturing.org. I want to thank the great teams at E18 and AAM, as well as Joe Dutra for making this episode possible. Thanks again for joining us, and see you next week. Together, we can keep it made in America.